Turn It On, the Level 42 fan podcast is in no way affiliated with the band. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Turn It On, the Level 42 fan podcast. We are here today with our typical trio from here in the U.S. Here to talk the time away with all things Level 42. The convivial Mikey Payne. Say hello, Mikey. Howdy, everyone. The irrepressible Winston Walker, wind man with many faces and many names. Please say hello. I have one face and one name, but whatever. How's everybody doing? <laughs> right. And I'm Bob Consonite. Also saying hello to all the Level 42 fans out there both past, current, and future from all over the world. We appreciate you being here. Gentlemen, it is good to talk to you again uh, for another Turn It On podcast. Um, right back at you, Bob. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to throw, you know, I know we're going to be uh, spending some time today kind of pulling the petals off the rose that is Changes 2. Mike Lindup's long-awaited follow-up to Changes 1. Uh, but before we get to that, we have a nice little surprise at the time, you know, this week of when we record this episode with the audio release of Live at Switzerland, a show from Lugano, Switzerland, that is now available on most streaming platforms uh, from the band. So, I, you know, I didn't see this one coming. Uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to listen to it or you had any take on it. What, what's your opinion? Well, I, um, I have not listened to it Um I wasn't aware of what it was, but from what I understand now, it's I've seen the video uh, yeah. quite a few times, um, which is really good. It's a uh, you can probably find it on. I believe it's still on YouTube um, yes. because they record those shows and make them available. Uh, it's really good quality. Um, it's a good good gig, and yep. uh, that Logano uh, festival has been going on since like the seventies, and. <laughs> It's like free, open air and free. Open air and free. It looks beautiful. And, you know, I hate to sound like a dummy. The first time I saw that show, I thought Lugano was in Italy. Um, oh, well, I probably <laughs> thought the same thing because it sounds Italian. Yeah. And, it, you know, there's so many of those piazzas going on and they have outdoor shows all the time. But, yeah, it's uh, funny because I saw um, one of my favorite guitarists, Mike Stern. Mm -hmm. uh, he was there one year and... I watched it and I bet I probably thought, yeah, this is this is like some little town square in Italy, but it is Switzerland. I believe that same series of gigs, Incognito played that same festival that year. Yeah, very good. How about you, Mikey? Have you had a chance? Yes, I, I remember seeing it on YouTube several times and well, one having level 42 there, but I can just imagine sitting in that square with the scenery and the sounds and the, it must've been an incredible uh, concert to attend. Um, and I think it's special for the US fans in, in regards, because that was the same year that level 42 returned to the United States back that's in exactly right. back in 2010 uh, with the same set list that's on this uh, new uh, DVD release. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, as a matter oh. of fact, it, it, it was, they so they played that Switzerland uh, Lugano on July 2nd, 
And then they did a couple of uh, UK shows, like January 17th and January 18th. And then that's when they came to the US for the first time in, in since whenever. So it is a really interesting time uh, for the band to have come because, you know, we were able to see all that. And, and you mentioned a set, you know, that set list, Mikey, I think I really like the fact that um, Almost There was on it, Dream Crazy was on it, which, you know, you don't get very often. Right. I think the only track that's that wasn't played on the Zer- on the uh, on this DVD that was played on the tour was uh, 43. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? Ooh. Well, yeah. I, so correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think this is on DVD. I think they just did the audio. Correct. It is just a, it, yeah, it's, it's available on all streams. But I think maybe Mike's talking about the the video and even though. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. I made, my own boot, I made my own quote-unquote boot <laughs> DVD because I like to archive the stuff. So Yes, and you did a great job at the artwork. I yes, think. you did. Yes, you did. Yeah. Well, I did yeah. not I did not do the artwork. Um, okay. That would be uh, Julio, who does lots of great fan artwork. Um, I roped him into doing that. Very um, cool. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the set list is – I didn't even realize until you guys just said that, though, that's the year they came back. Uh, and you guys, I mean, I know, Bob, you saw them in New York, right? Well, I saw them in three different places. I saw uh, them in uh, Virginia, uh, Annapolis, this is where they started, and New York as well, yeah. Yeah, I, I do, yeah, Dream Crazy is awesome. Anytime they do Kansas City Milkman, I'm a sucker for that song. Yep. Um, and obviously Star Child. And I noticed, one thing I did notice because I peeped a bit of it today, mm-hmm. is the the synth lead in Star Child. Is it Star? No, Love Games. Love Games, he's, yes. He's, he's using a different sound. Yes, he is. Yes, a lot is. of the times it sounds like, he, you know, he's kind of got the exact patch from when they recorded it or <clears> something. <throat> but this one's definitely, definitely different. Yep. Um, I, t- I totally noticed that, too. Yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> And for me, it's it's uh, that's 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, that's about four years after Mike Linda joined the fold back into level 42 again. So for me, it's it, to me they they seem like a lot more relaxed outfit at that point in 2010 going forward. Yeah. Uh, after having Mike sort of come back and get into the groove again. Yeah. And I noticed the same thing about Love Games, Winston, and um, <clears throat> a couple other things that really stuck out for me was, you know, often when we talk about Pete Ray Biggin, we don't talk about the subtlety of his drumming, but he is doing some really, I guess, subtle word, subtle is the word I'm going to stay with. It's really subtle stuff on a lot of these songs. And it's probably better seen visually than listened to, uh, but I'm really impressed with his performance in that show. Um, what no, else? I- well, one thing I want to mention because you brought up Pete. I, first of all, I love his love his playing. Yep. I whoever's idea, and I hope it was Pete's idea, to not be in the back of the band but be on the side. Yeah. Inspired because I hate that you can't see a drum if you're at a gig. You can't see a drummer. It's hard to get a picture of the drummer if they're if everyone is standing in front of them. Yeah. So with him being on the side. A, it's great for the audience. Yep. Yes. It's great for someone who's watching the video. And I think it's great 
for the, for a bass player when you've got that rhythm section and the bass player doesn't have to turn his back to the audience when he's looking at the drummer. Well, you know? right. one thing though, we're in about that, and I've often wondered, and I think, you know, I have a list of probably 20 questions that I would want to ask Mark King right now. And one of them is how's the hearing in your left ear? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty loud. I don't care what you got in your ears. Uh, well, it's a it's a drummer. Yeah, but I, I'm thinking like, yeah, he's got uh, those in-ear monitors. So, but yeah. I guess that's not going to, the purpose of that is not to keep the sound out. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I've i always loved, I mean, hey, I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. They haven't had a drummer in that band that I have not liked. Totally. Right. True. And, and especially, um, and I, I am, I feel so bad that I'm forgetting his name, but. Uh, yeah. Gavin Harrison? No, no, not Gavin. Trevor, um, Trevor Smith? Yes. I mm -hmm. loved his playing when he was with when he was playing with those guys. The late um, yeah. Yeah. the late Trevor so, Smith, of course. Yes. I would say this. You brought up Gavin. I kind of see a little bit of Pete in the similarities in their playing because Gavin would play a lot of stuff that you would think would be programmed. Yeah. Like a lot of percussion, and Pete does the same thing. Yep, he holds down the groove, but he also puts in a lot of little percussion bits. Yeah, that a lot of folks, you know, normally drummer wouldn't play that. You know. Yep. And they doesn't have to. I mean, obviously, with the gig, a bunch of the songs are sequenced, so there's, you know, they could obviously put in uh, percussive bits from a drum machine sample or yep. whatever. Um, but he he covers all of that stuff, man. I, I you know, he's kind of like Gary. Like I always dug Gary, and you know, he can get busy on some yeah. of the things. And but he can also, I mean, you know, he's a super talented musician. He can also, you know, play whatever. And you know, I would just say I don't need him to be Phil Gould. Yep. I yeah. you know I like I want them to do their thing. And it's not like they're getting up on stage and just, you know, freestyling. They have practice. <laughs> yeah. They have to, you know, they're not going to get out there and just do their own thing and like the hell with Mark or Mike, whoever's running the band, yeah. you know, that's all been worked out. You know what I mean? So, I mean, obviously, I guess there's re there's room for spontaneity on everybody's part. Um, but, yeah. you know, so I kind of I kind of dig what he does. But I do that one thing that I noticed, like, oh, cool. Get the guy at the side of the stage. Everybody mm -hmm. can see each other. They don't all have to turn around to look at the drummer or whatever, you know. Yeah, and it's unique to see that ang that angle of, you know, how you play from the side versus looking yeah. straight on, you know. Yeah, in fact, you know, I posted recently, because someone asked me to, to, to uh, post a Mark King's One Man Wolverhampton video that I shot. Mm -hmm. And 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 one of the sequences there, I was trying to actually zoom in and actually catch Trevor drumming, but because we were right up front, and again because the old, the way the drummer was back in the back, I couldn't get any shots of uh, of Trevor playing that gig. Yeah, um, it's hard, you know. Yeah, I mean, literally, if you you know, we go to a show and we were doing all those shows in Europe. It's like, hey, you want to be at the front, and you yeah. want to be dead center, right? Yep. Now. If you do want to get shots to the drummer, you got to make sure, like, you got to go left or right of center. And <laughs> I, I remember, I guess the 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 Isle of Wight gig that I went to after nine eleven, 
I was far to the left. So I was like almost dead in front of the keyboard player. Right. So I had a really good view of Gary, you know, without anyone, you know, because obviously Mark wouldn't have been blocking my view. Um, so that, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's like the drummer, yeah. you don't get any respect, <laughs> at least from being seen, you know, in the standard layout. Did you just pull your collar like Rodney Dangerfield, as you said that one? Got no, no respect. I, I didn't. I, okay. I, I have a t-shirt on, no collar to pull. No collar. <laughs> I, uh, I I do appreciate Pete's drumming. I think it's a really inspiring story of how he became drummer Absolutely. of Level 42. And I really hope we have a chance to speak to Pete one day. I, I um, because there's a movie out. I can't remember the movie where a kid becomes a member of his favorite rock band, Rockstar, I think it is, with Mark Wahlberg. Yes. That it? Right. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, you know, you're a fan of a band and, bam, you know, and down the road you're the drummer touring with the band. and. Yeah. And that's a really inspiring story. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that is actually based on a true story. That character, not to get off on a real tangent here, but that that is actually the leads yeah. the story of um, the guy who did the replacement singer for Judas Priest, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. I I see big things for Pete in the future. Uh, he he's just getting started. Yeah, I do too. Oh, he's playing. I mean, he. You know, he's played with a lot of big names. I mean, hell, he played with Incognito, which I was always thrilled about. Like, oh, that's cool. I like both of those bands quite a bit, you know? So, And didn't he play with Amy Winehouse as well? Yes. Not, no. Yeah, but, he did. That's cool. I, I, I always go back to, you know, how much, you know, another one of my favorite drummers, Stuart Copeland from The Police. And, you know, Stuart really bought into Pete as a player when they were doing the Gizmo Drum live gigs, weren't too many of them, but I think Stuart was really, really approved of the way he drums. So, good on him. Well, I think about Stuart is he he, he well, I don't even want to say it that way, but he <laughs> he I don't want to say he leveled up with bass players with Gizmo Drum. <laughs> I could that's obviously the first thing that came to my mind. No pun intended. But I always, I always tease Bob about Sting being a horrible bass player, and he's not. But <laughs> no, it's just I a know running not. joke. <laughs> uh, we'll let you, we'll let you slide on this. Um, so, guys, uh, it was uh, July twenty eighth, twenty twenty three, I believe, that uh, Mike Lindup released Changes Two, uh, which was kind of a, an album that uh, was long awaited. We we had singles up to really almost two years leading up to it, about four singles. Uh, and it, it really is an amazing piece of work in terms of what it provides musically. There's a lot of soul, there's funk, there's jazz, there's disco, and there's folk music. So <laughs> he discovered a lot of ground on this thing. And I, you know, I just think the, the, the melodies and the production and the lyrics, really the lyrics, you know, uh, really amazing, you know, Sometimes we always think we always go to the Gould Brothers for level 42 lyrics, but I, you know, I think these stand up with just about anything uh, that, that came out from the band lyrically. I wanted to, you know, before we kind of go down, uh, I don't know if we'll go track by track, but we'll, we'll hit on a lot of them. What, do you, what were your overall thoughts on, on, on the album? Let's go with you first, Mike. Being a very bad keyboard player uh, and a huge level 42 fan and being 
having Mike Lindup's Changes, the original release in 1990, as one of my favorite albums of all time. I, like many others here, had a really, I was really anticipating what the heck Mike was going to do for the follow-up to Changes. And I kind of had some expectations as, as fans do when, you know, their artists release things. But little did I know, and no hyperbole here, little did I know this is what we were going to get delivered. And it it far exceeded my expectations by like a million percent. Yeah. Uh, it was an absolute, it was one of those albums that stand, it's an album. It really, it, it flows well as a whole album. The, yeah. the thematics part of it, the sonic sound of it, the it, it just utter brilliance. And I, I, hey, I'm I'm not afraid to say it. I had tears in my eyes by the last track because yeah. I was so happy with what I heard. Yeah. What about you, Win? Uh, I didn't realize it was two years from when he started dropping singles to the album coming out. I I do remember a lot of people excited like every other week when's the album coming when's the album coming and i'm like when it comes it comes that's what i'm thinking but i didn't know it was two years like that's yeah. a long time it is a long time but i you know because it's a the type of release it is not a major label he has the benefit of dropping a bunch of songs um so that was that to me that part of it was amazing so yeah. i liked all i mean honestly I don't recall, um, what was it? Was was Time to Let Go the first track he dropped? Oh, I can't remember if it was that yes, or Atlanta. Yes, it was. Okay. No, Atlanta yeah. was the last one. Um, so, yeah. So I liked Time to Let Go. Yeah. And I liked You Just Can't Let... They, the, the, what I'm getting at here, <laughs> the songs kept getting better. Yep. Like, ooh, I like this one. Ooh, I really like this one. And then when Atlantia dropped, I was just, I was in heaven. I'm like, that is an amazingly good song. Yep. It reminds me of early level 42 in some respects. Um, lyrically, I, you know, probably like that song the most. Um, so I was, I was excited. And then when the album dropped, um, I think Bob, you got it before me. I think I got it before anybody. And just by right. freak of luck, I mean, yeah. And I got uh, it a few days later, but you let me hear. Um, could it really be? Yeah. And I think you had mentioned like, oh, this is a good song, and I listened to it, and yeah. like, you know, eight bars in, I'm like, ooh, yeah. this is my jam right here. It's still my that is my favorite song on the album. Mm -hmm. It still is, and I really like Atlantia. I love the remix of Atlantia, yep. but I do, oddly enough, I like the album version better because unfortunately, I, I know what remixes are supposed to do. They took out a lot of the great horn arrangements, um, you know, so that I was like, oh, I want to hear all that stuff. And maybe some of the guitar is gone, but oh my God, like I liked every, and this doesn't happen a lot with me. Um, some I have albums that are some of my favorites of all time. And it took quite a few listens before it gets into that st status for me. Um, like, okay, I like 
these are a couple of standout tracks that I like, and I have to listen to it over and over, and then eventually it's like, oh, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. I liked all of these songs right away, which really doesn't happen. Normally it's like, okay, even though could it really be stood out for me a minute or two into it, like, oh, I know I'm going to really like, oh, I see where he's going with this. Oh, I really love that. I liked all of the songs, and I usually don't do that. I don't even know if I felt that way with the first Changes album. Mm. You know, so, and that is, that has the, that's one of my favorite albums of all time, because that's, that's a, an album that I keep going back to, and it never gets old. Yeah, I never have that feeling of, if I'm with someone, and they put on an album, I'm like, oh, I've heard this so much, I'm, I really don't want to hear this. Right. I never get that way with changes. Yeah. And I haven't been that way with this new album. It is, it's amazing. It's really, really, really good. And I mean, you know, hey, I'm predisposed to liking stuff from, from, from Mike because I love the band that he came from. I loved all of the solo songs that, that he wrote with Level 42. Yeah. You know, um, so maybe that helps me love it so much, but it is really really good like changes he's got some incredible musicians on it um yep. the one thing that took me by surprise was i was not expecting to hear other people sing lead vocals on songs mm -hmm. good point which is great you know it's like okay well to me and i'm just you know i'm not speaking for mr linda here but there's no ego there like no. okay it's my album i don't have to be singing this song that's you know, right. who's the best to sing this song or whatever. I want to bring in other people that I, that I like, that I respect. I want to work with. Hey. Well, he's a collaborator, you, you know, he's yeah. a collaborator. And, and I think that's a great point when, you know, I, I was a, my first listen. Um, I was a little bit surprised not to hear uh, him sing a couple songs, at least, you know, lead, but I got over it really quick because of the quality of the songs. Um, uh, and the other thing I want to just point out is just when we talk about the production, the, you know, however many years this was in the making, obviously how personal this album is to him, you got to give him a lot of credit from the standpoint of, you know, I was listening to one interview Mike did um, and he said, you know, uh, this is not a, uh, a good, um, Maybe it's not such a good business model to do this. You know, he, I think there was a, a level of sacrifice that he, he made for this. Uh, certainly, I'm sure financially to get this quality of work and to have so many collaborations. Um, and so I, I just applaud him so much for sticking with it. Uh, and really, you know, Changes One was a, a big thematic album. And this is also a big thematic album. So I, I really give him high props for all that. The job that, you know, Mike Linda sort of um, let his producers, uh, Tony Economides and Mike Pata, kind of Spengali Mike's vision for changes yep. too. Um, and, you know, not being in music production myself, I didn't really realize how influential a producer can really be to an artist in helping them shape 
something, a vision or an idea that they have. Yeah. Um, I did want to go back to what Wynn said about Atlantia. Maybe we'll just do a couple of tracks. We'll, we'll talk about them. And we'll start with Atlantia because I agree with Winston. It does really set the tone for this album, um, both musically. Uh, it, you, you think about um, changes off changes one, and that kind of sets the tone. This is the same thing. It is a, a really such a great song. And, and the line, you know, uh, well, obviously, you know, he, he's talking about race a little bit with uh, neither being black or white. And he's kind of lived through that. Um, he, he's kind of letting you into what it's like to live like that. And, and he doesn't really understand why it matters to people. And he's right. Uh, but when he says we're all shards of the divine, I think that is like such a great line and you don't have to be religious to really get it. it that's the line that applies to all people. <laughs> um, I, to- I totally agree. I totally agree. So yeah, it's uh, uh, like, a, I don't know, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, go ahead, it's a typical Linda song. Yeah. Where it's, I mean, and I kind of felt that way for Love 42. There weren't a lot of, you know, Oh baby, I love you. Dance with me. Tunes lyrically, there was something to be said, um, and a lot of his songs are are like that. So it's like, hey, I can if there was just no vocal, I'm loving the groove, but that that takes it up, to, that puts a you know, that's the topping on the cake. I'm trying to stay away from another level type stuff. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Mike Mike has a very innate way of, you know, because listening to Level 42, there was only, always a social conscience in in some of the lyric writing, which, you know, with songs like The Chant Has Begun, I Want Eyes, um, you know, not, not so much getting political, but, you know, talking about some, some really important issues and not coming across as being preachy about it. Yeah. But just kind of, you know, yes, music's important, but so are other things. And these things are important to me. And these are my thoughts about it. What do you think? You know, it doesn't, they don't try to force an agenda on you, but they kind of make you think. And, and I wish more people these days were like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, a lot of people with the original changes. Bob, you, you brought up a good point about Shards of the Divine. I thought that was, a, again, one of many brilliant lyrics on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people thought Changes, the original album, was a religious album, but it was a very spiritual album. Right. Uh, um, and I think he's mastered that again and taking it to a whole other level. So. Yeah. I keep coming to the themes of both change and unity on this whole album. And you can, you can go to Atlantia, Atlantia and um, uh, the last song, courage to change kind of the bookends, but even a song like um, world is ready, um, which has, you know, features <clears throat> Ursula Rucker uh, kind of doing the spoken word on that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I take those three songs and let's face it, you guys know me. I'm dead inside, you know. Um, but when I, <laughs> when I you hear are this not. Stuff, when I hear this <laughs> stuff, I'm like, you know what? Damn it, I'm going to change too. 
You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, was really, I was really moved by some of this stuff. You know, so well, job well done, I guess. Yeah, it's Atlantia, and you know, I'm not. I wasn't familiar. You know, I was wanting to come out. I was trying to understand what, what does Atlantia mean. You know, the whole concept of Atlantia, and yeah. and uh, my spouse told me there's a movie about Atlantis or something that I needed to watch to understand that metaphor. Google is but, your friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember Mike in one interview talking about that, and I, I honestly can't remember it as we're sitting here talking about it. But uh, uh, again, uh, and uh, second track, Time to Let Go, uh, Wind brought it up. Um, you know, this one, I, I'm not going to say it's my favorite off the album, but it is a very good song. It's a very original song. I like the arpeggiation <clears throat> throughout. Um, be curious to find out from Mike uh, one day if it was, if he kind of played that live or was just um, uh, programmed. Um, very interesting though. I love the guitar solo. Oh yeah. That's what, uh, is that Alex Hutchings? Alex Hutchings, yep. Yeah. Somebody asked uh, me the other day, like, who is that guy? Where did he, I think there was, Something recently got posted with was it Alex and, and Mike yeah. doing something? Yeah, they did and like they a asked, Right. Oh, yeah. So it was my buddy Alandis who was the bass player in our band, and you know we were all in the level forty two and stuff. And I sent him. I said, and he's like, "Well, where's that guy from?" And I'm like, "I believe they met when Mike was touring with the Michael Jackson show." That's right. I, and I then he right. was like, he responds he's like, "No way." Linda play with Michael Jackson. I'm like, no, you're getting the wrong idea here. It's like a tribute show, you know? <laughs> so and I'm like, do you honestly think that one of our favorite musicians, if he played with an icon like Michael Jackson, like you wouldn't know that already? Yeah. Like, there's no way I would have been able to surprise you with that fact, you know? So. It, um, to me, I, I hear, particularly in that song, I hear Holdsworth. I hear a little Jacko. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm off on that, but he, he does have some, Definite fusion background, uh, Alex yeah, Hutchins does. I, I I heard tinges of Al Murphy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In well, that, yeah, Al was a hell of a guitar. Well, both Al's were yeah. guitar players. So yeah. Um, I I you know I started reading the liner notes. I get a kick. I mean, a some of the musicians I'm very familiar with. Some of them I don't know. Um, but when I got to you know got the liner notes and, and saw that Tony Mumrell was singing. Well, I know him from Incognito, of course. Yeah. And I just was like, oh, this is awesome. But the other thing is, I love knowing the equipment that gets used in the recordings. Yep. You know, like, you know, unfortunately, it'll say, you know, Ernie McCone electric bass. Obviously, bass players would probably want to know what's he playing but typically on albums like this it's not just going to say keyboards right it's going to say Wurlitzer Rhodes Selena strings Korg you know that kind of stuff what and I noticed a, he's got the Roland Juno 106 on a bunch of tracks yep that was the first real keyboard that I ever had I still love it to this day um and then it says Selena strings which always makes me think of Rick James because Rick James was famous for like, they had this 
Selena string ensemble keyboard that he always used. If you listen yeah. to a lot of his songs, you know, so I was always a, a liner note junkie. Growing yeah, up. me too. And thanks for my, thanks to Mike Lindup too, for really putting together a nice, um, you know, CD package, really. If you got the, uh, the actual physical media from this, it's really good. Yeah, I, I agree. And also with time to let go, that was actually the first single that he released. Mm -hmm. um, for changes to, and of course the timing of that coming right in the middle of the pandemic, right? Um, with that kind of message, I, I think gave even more credence to the worth of that song. Yep. Too, uh, and it's always great to hear something new, isn't it? <laughs> I keep thinking of that song, Mike, as you know, there's probably some high-end spa hotel that we that. That could be the theme song, literally, if you wanted to go in that direction. If you were thinking um, uh, commercially, what could we do with this song? I, I, I really could see somebody taking that, at least the chorus anyway, time to let go. Time to let go. We don't need it all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just yeah. can't live on an island. I was going to pivot to that if you guys don't mind. Um, you know, it, it is, to me, it's kind of, old school, new school disco. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun song. Uh, interesting song, you know, interesting to think of Mike as um, being out on the dance floor because I think he said himself he's not really that type. He's, he's kind of shy when it comes to that stuff. But fun song and great horns. What do you guys think? Well, you remember when I said with 42, like, yeah, they don't do a lot of songs with, about come on, baby, dance with me. and But here yeah. we have it. So... <laughs> I, you know, I'll just shut up as far as that <laughs> point goes. But yeah, this is a definitely reminds me of, I mean, obviously, because, you know, seems like it's set in a club, but like, uh, you know, kind of disco track. Um, but there's, you know, there's more of a story going on here. Or, you know, it's not just dance with me. It's like about other things you know, letting go of other things. Um, it's a, you know, I'm going to fall in the rut here, but this is, it's a really, really good song. Yep. Um, you know, uh, most of these tracks, the guitar and the, the, the brass really stands out. Um, really, really good arrangements. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, like I said, it was, I like this time to let go. Ooh, now I like this song a lot. You know, they just kept rolling like stronger and stronger. Um, and I guess, you know, I guess that's what artists are trying to do anyway. Even if they're on a major label, they want to lead with a good song and follow it up with a good song. They, they shouldn't really get weaker as, yeah. as the releases go on, you know. Yeah. Um, but you get lucky sometimes where you have a, you know, album full of bangers, in my opinion. You know, it's, you know, I mean, there are songs by some of my favorite bands that, let's just say I won't specifically put on the record to hear a certain song. No, totally. Um, not, not saying that I would skip said song, but you know, it's just like, okay, I know what's coming up next. Um, but this one is like, for me, it's a nice ride. I don't feel like, Okay, let me let me get through this song because that next one is is amazing. It's a good ride, with you know you don't need the remote. 
Yeah. Because you're not, for me, I'm not skipping any tracks. You yep. know? Um, except I would, I will say this. Um, we haven't gotten to Atlantia yet, but when that dropped, I listened to that song over and over. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sitting here working and I just had that on repeat. You know, it's, so. it's, you know, if we go through the, um, uh, the or of, of all of uh, Mike Lindup's songs. I mean, that's got to be right up there, at, you know, oh, top yeah. top three. Yes. We haven't... Uh, Mikey, what do you think of um, Can't Live in uh, Ireland? Uh, you can't just live in as, as an island. I, I, again, I wish I could remember what interview I heard it in, but someone was making a joke, but I was thought maybe they were being somewhat serious about it having another subtle meaning, meaning of uh, Brexit. <laughs> right. That would, I can see that. I, I don't know how much truth there is in that, right. but uh, I mean, I can just see England singing to France or France singing to England, you know, to come right. join me on the dance floor. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I thought it was a real fun uh it kind of reminded me of some of jackson's stuff off of off the wall yeah uh, um having that kind of just dis- new disco sound to it if you like yeah uh the video cracks me up if i'm really down i love watching the video <laughs> cheers me right up yeah that he's he did got for this track quite a few quite a few views of that video i forget the number but i remember seeing it being pleasantly surprised by that i speaking of that i would love to see, and I don't know how much stuff they filmed in the studio, but I would love to see a lot of that stuff show up online. Yeah. Um, just to see, I mean, we got a clip of him playing drums. Yep. You know, which yep. I don't think I've ever seen before. I'm not, I'm, you know, discounting right. back in the day in the 2010 when they played percussion that, you know, but I mean like a, a proper drum set, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty, pretty cool. And I'm like, man, what is that? Like eight seconds? Come on, give me some more of that. You know? Yeah. Or it's kind of like the, the you used to have those old videos in the seventies or early eighties where it's like one guy. Well, cause I remember a Prince video and I do remember another video where it's like, there's just shots of him playing all the instruments on the song, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, but there's someone else, uh, someone else's video I saw where they did that. It's basically like, kind of like a one-man band but even though they didn't play everything on the record you know it's just yeah. kind of cool you know well i think you might be talking about phil collins uh you know what he did was he uh he played air instruments <laughs> of every instrument oh no i mean someone's in the studio and they there's a mm-hmm. so it wasn't phil because and okay. i forgot about that but yeah they were literally like just playing all all the instruments the keyboards the horns right. the guitar the bass you know the drums, you know, it's just kind of cool. It's yeah. always great to see someone who, you know, like, you know, a lot of people don't know. I mean, there's video Stevie Wonder playing drums. Oh, yeah. You know, he played a lot of instruments on his albums, but, you know, you don't think of him in that way. So when you first see it, you're, you're kind of taken aback, you know? Yep. So it's kind of cool. Oh, and Paul McCartney, too, does that quite a bit. Well, uh, speaking of Stevie Wonder, I hope someone, if someone's listening, please give Stevie Wonder mike lindup's changes album because i know mike mike's a huge fan of stevie's and uh if i knew stevie wonder i would give it to him mike but i don't so yeah hopefully uh, someone out there will do that yeah and i know he's had a couple of close encounters and he's not really uh talked with him you know i 
I'll jump to the song All Is One because that to me is where I really hear um, Stevie Wonder, particularly in this. The, the end of that song kind of reminds me of the second part of um, Superwoman. Um, I forget which album, but that you know, we're going back to like 73. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. really hear that with the Moog. And, you know, I think, I guess it's a mini Moog. Mike's playing it, but I, I know Stevie Wonder used to play these things called Tonto synthesizers. And that, the spirit of that song and the sounds of that song really evoked that, you know, the early Stevie Wonder more than anything else on that album. Yes. I think that track is mini Moog and Moog bass. Okay. Yeah. So I don't really know what the you know I'm I'm used to my keyboard heroes playing bass lines the mini Moog, you right. know yep. like the first like Bernie Worrell was always a favorite of mine and like what he did with Parliament especially when like that flashlight single dropped I was like ooh <laughs> that's that's some serious bass that's some keyboard bass for you yep. that and what was that song, Dreamweaver? Yeah, Gary Wright. Gary oh, Wright. That yeah. was those two songs. Really, it was like, oh wow, they can do that yeah. with the bass, with a keyboard, and it was just nasty, you know. Yep. Um, and and the thing with you know, unlike it is today, they weren't playing eight bars over and over. Yeah. You no. know, these just... were really long, diff- complicated bass lines, you know, with all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. Right, expand, uh, expanding the riff in different ways, and and yeah, yeah, yeah. You do get Mike Lind up as a bass player on a lot of this album, don't you? With some of the some of the Moog bass he's playing, it's really cool. Yeah, and that that track he said in, that he had sort of an epiphany moment in Utrecht, um, mm-hmm. where he was just feeling all great with the universe. You know, everything just seemed to just come together and it was just by being in that time and in that space yeah i'm not doing his words justice there but no i i heard i heard him say that too mike yeah and if you just there's gonna be a lot of babies made to that song <laughs> i heard mike i heard mike lindup talk about that you know that that feeling of everything was perfect in the world and i'm like i sat there and i go wow i wonder what that's like because <laughs> i <can't> <laughs> yeah that don't um, don't don't let your wife and kids listen to this okay bob <laughs> <laughs> i love them all right uh could it really be um you know for me it's probably my second favorite song and it is as winston said first the first time you hear it you're like wow this is just you're into it from the first four bars and again, you know, you got a lead vocal with Tony Mumrell. I think he co-wrote it as well. Um, and I just love the uh, the back and forth of uh, I'm going to keep it cool. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 that yes. Is just, I mean, like I said, that was when you let me hear that song. I, like I said, immediately I was like, OK, I'm eight bars in like, yeah, I'm liking this. And then it has a little change and I'm like, oh this is this is heaven and it it still my favorite that might change but um i would love to hear that live yeah uh just a a great great put that's a song that that puts me in a good mood you know right away when i when i hear that you know but again 
when the album dropped, like I said, I was listening to Atlantia ad nauseum, you know. But when the album dropped, I, even though that song is my favorite, like I'm listening to this whole album all the time. Yep. I'm starting from Atlantia and I'm just letting it go, you know. And then I typically, like I, I think I might have mentioned this to you guys when, when we weren't recording one time. I usually will go to sleep listening to music. Like I kind of, at this point, I need a kind of a little noise or something to, to, to go to sleep. Right. And I remember getting this album and I put it on and I'm like, okay, you know, kick it off with Atlantia. By the time I get to, could it really be, I'll be asleep. And then it's like the album's over and I'm still awake because I'm paying too much attention. And then I'm okay. I'll start it over. Right. And then I'm, I'm through the second listening of the whole album. And then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not as dumb as I look. Let me put on something else. Cause I need to get some sleep here, you know, <laughs> but that, I mean, I don't tip a lot of times with albums. I don't typically do that. Like, you know, first couple of times I'll listen to it all the way through. And then I just start like, Oh, well, let me, let me, let me hit this song or let me hit that song or whatever. This one, I'm just listening to it all the way through. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, well, I guess I know why, because it's it's re it's really really good. I really really enjoy it, you know. But I tend not to do that a lot. Um, um, and, and I'm kind of like a control freak when it comes to music. Like that's why I don't listen to the radio because as soon as they play something I don't want to hear, I'm done. Yep. So I'd rather program it myself. Um, and I have a lot of sort of mixtape things that I that I do on whether it's Spotify or typically I just um put stuff in a folder play it you know my stereo you know electronically from my computer but uh this i just you know i haven't dropped this into any playlist or anything i just listen to the album because it's yeah. quality yeah shout out to edwin sands on that track too first because i thought mike was doing some of the stuff but it was actually edwin sands doing a lot of stuff there towards the end of the song Oh my gosh. Uh, that gave it sort of a real Latin sort of oh, highlight yeah. Yeah. there at the end. Well, uh, Alex Wilson is the Alex Wilson. Right, keyboard. Yeah. And, and you yeah. know, sorry to jump in on it, Mike, but I, you know, this is a talk about a change in direction at that song. And, you know, if this was like a commercial album, if that was a, a, a three minute, 30 second signal, it would never go in that direction. But because Mike Lindup has that freedom just kind of take it anywhere you want and go the full way. Exactly. And, and, and collaboration too, because he, I think Mike could have, Mike, we've heard Mike play uh, Brazilian Latin type stuff on, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot push, of yeah. And, yeah. and even his first solo it changes yeah. with the uh, push out, you know, but he didn't, he let somebody else do it. I do like the, the track, uh, with Omar. I saw you in my dreams. Yeah. Um, yes, that, that's cool. Yes. Um, that is really, and it was, it was great to see him when Mike had that, uh, I guess, listening party or whatever, the release party thing, you know, to have Omar there. Um, I always loved that spin he put on Sun Goes Down, um, living it up, uh, when they released that single. Uh, and that's, that's a pretty good song, uh. And I'm trying to think, I probably told you guys, like my sister had a, you know, both my sisters are fans, um, and my younger sister, particularly of uh, Mike, and I let her hear 
um, that song. And she was like, who's that singing? Because she knew it was, <laughs> it just said featuring Omar. Right. And she doesn't, like, I have some Omar albums. She does not. But she recognized his voice from that British soap opera that he was on. That's crazy. Which I um, I did not know he, he had done acting, right? Yeah, me either. And, and, you know, she's like, oh, well, he sounds like this guy that was on EastEnders. And I'm like, really? It's like, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I did the whole Google thing. I'm like, it's the same guy. Because I, I knew his full name and I told her, but she wasn't sure of the full. She just knew the guy's name was Omar. But she recognized his voice from a TV show. And she really <laughs> likes that. She really likes that song. <laughs> he, uh, obviously. he he also sang the theme song, Omar, to uh, the British sitcom with Lenny Henry called Chef. Oh, in I've which, never seen that, but I know of in it. Which, in which Jack Ojekcek did all the music underscoring for that series, too. Hmm. No kidding. I didn't know that. I didn't remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen that show. Um, again, Mikey mentioned before um, one of the other songs about a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, babies being made. I think that song is the one where I don't gonna... think you guys have an appreciation of how babies are actually made. <laughs> it's not the song that does it. Uh, I'll take whatever help I can get. But I think I just think it's, I just think uh, you know it's just it's a well done song. I love the percussion at the end. I don't know why, but it kind of reminds me of World Machine that song a little bit. Um, just you know, I, I can't even put my finger on it. I, I, I always hear World Machine. Yeah, I also hear a, I don't know if it's an exact melodic recreation, but there at the end, I I hear the sequence of keys that sound like Michael Jackson's Thriller when he's doing the big dance scene in the video. Um, I could be wrong, but I thought it was a little nod it was a bit Jackson-esque again in that in the latter half of that song. There's no doubt, Mike. He he's definitely influenced by Michael Jackson, and, and uh, I think uh, had he stayed around longer, it'd probably be the opposite way too. You know, um, I wanted to hit on one thing, guys, and that that is the song "World Is Ready." Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. This, this is my favorite song off the album. Both. Uh, from top to bottom, lyrics, production, I, I, you know, anytime I hear that it's going to be spoken word on an album, I just, my eyes roll back on my head. I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to hear this. But w with Ursula Barker, who's, um, you know, a spoken word artist from Philadelphia, um, I, she just, there's something about her. Um, mm -hmm. I hear uh, you. Yeah, there's something about the way she, relays the lyrics and the words in this that is really like genuine yes uh, and i i just think it's just it's a fantastic song and I, I love it top to bottom yeah she reminded me of the uh, poet laureate uh during the last presidential inauguration in fact that's who i thought it was at first mm -hmm. when i when i heard it because i i had never heard of uh of miss rucker and that's my loss. And I'm glad that Mike has highlighted someone of her caliber and her message 
in this track. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of forget how they connected, uh, but yeah, I'm sure I had that no idea she was from Philly. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I had seen on some of her social media that how how pleased she was with the song too once it came out. Uh, so you know, you think. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, go ahead, Bob. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, if we should be blessed with Mike Lindup coming to play here in the States at some point, it would be great. If, like if he's playing in New York, that we get uh, Ursula a train ticket and get her to meet. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, uh, and Mike said in an interview that she recorded that track just shortly after her mom's death, too. So, wow. Uh, I, uh, to kind of ha have to sing that and put, you know, you know what it takes to perform a song. You know, you have to feel those lyrics. You have to, you know, you have to tap into that, those feelings and uh, fair play to her. And uh, it was brilliant. And Bob, I agree with you. World is ready. If I had, if I had to pick one, which is really hard to do on this album, it would be world is ready. And not, not just because Mark's on the bass too, right. but the whole construct of the song, the groove of the song, the you know a lot of us a lot of the fans you know wish that level was still writing albums like they did in the 80s or what would level 42 sound like now um to me that song would be on any level 42 album i agree uh, you know what i love about world is ready to if you the the way mike sings the chorus it's almost like a chant it, it yes it, it, it kind of even reminds me of um uh madness a little bit off of his on the one album the way he um delivers the words mm -hmm. in it. but it's more melodic uh and i really i just think it's great and i also love the key the, the keyboard solo towards the end yes and someone recently uploaded a video of this track without the vocals just the backing instrument instrumental kind of thing on it hmm. and it's you hear so much going on in that track too that you don't normally hear when you hear the lyrics over it yeah. um so it'd be really cool to get an instrumental of this album just to hear there's so much stuff on there that we're not hearing um but uh the message again on that song uh fantastic message and yep. uh it, it just it, it's a great jam song too yeah. uh it really lends to the the goodness of Mike's Mike Lindup's you know ah. being <laughs> his heart and soul you know yeah because no lives are inferior That's and right. uh, it's really important for people to to really understand that too. Um, two other songs we just want to hit on real quick: uh, Teflon Don and, and David. Uh, you guys want to take Teflon Don first? Sure. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I know there's even amongst my friends, there's debate whether um, John uh, Coleshaw should be on the track. Uh, some of my friends think that it takes away from the song uh, and they're entitled to their opinion, of course. Uh, I think it actually enhances the track, mm -hmm. uh, the message of the track. Um, because in the world that we live in, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have to laugh at the absurdity of things. Yeah. Um, and I thought he did it. I thought it was a brilliant way to him 
kind of uh, putting those two worlds together and lyrically saying his piece. And I'd love to see a video for this track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the song. Um, I was intrigued when he announced that, you know, Cole Saul was going to be on the album, and I did not have any idea who he was. So I looked it up and I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, not a musician, you know. So when the when the track came on, I'm like, okay, I see what he's doing there. And it, you know, I thought it was perfect. I think I'll never think of the word rhubarb t at the same way again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the answer is rhubarb. Um, and then the song, David, Goodbye to You, uh, really, uh, this is another one of my favorites. I, you know, I'm not a big um, David Bowie fan. Uh, I do like him. Uh, and I almost feel like Mike even delivered it like he was David Bowie. Like I could see David singing this song the way Mike Lindup sang it. And I think it's a, a great tribute. Uh, I don't think it's solely about David Bowie, but I think, you know, if there's ever a David Bowie documentary and you're rolling the credits, you're probably going to want to There is a David Bowie documentary. Well, I mean, another one. There's been about okay. 10 of them. But from yeah. this point forward, when <laughs> any, any David Bowie documentary should have this song as a as the uh, credit music. I had no idea that's what it was about until I saw him mention it or heard him mention it in, a, in an interview. Um, well, I originally thought it was about his father because I think that was his father's name. Right. Yeah, uh, that's what I. That's the assumption I made. And maybe there's a touch of it there, uh, but I really do think it's about Bowie. If you just kind of look at the lyrics, uh, well, he said so. He yeah. said it's about Bowie. That's how. That's the only reason I knew. I would have. I never would have, you know, thought it was about David Bowie, especially knowing his dad's name. I just I put those two things together and assumed that's what it was. But yeah, I was surprised when he said it was about Bowie. It's a great melody line in the in the verses too. It's very moving. Very moving song. Yeah, and I hear really early level 42 in that song. Hmm. It might just be me, uh, but I, I hear a lot of, um, even though I think it's a fretless bass on that song, uh, uh, melodically, uh, if, if you're really in that moment of the song with the lyrics and you're thinking of someone in that moment, uh, it's by the end of that track, you're, you're in tears just by the way they close that song. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great song. The bass and, uh, player does have a rather amazing name, last surname of Malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Malarkey. That's Malarkey. Robin Malarkey. <laughs> yeah. And then well, uh, uh, I was going to say Fragile Heart, which does have Dominic Miller on it. Uh, you know, that's yeah. the folky side of this album. What are you guys' th thoughts about that? I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was nice to see Mike go in the almost acoustic direction. Yep. In a sense. Um, and I love, again, I, I'm a big lyric person too. And uh, I, I absolutely love the lyrics of this song. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Good you know, stuff. you think about um, Changes One had West Coast Man. You know, um, stop saying changes one. Oh, sorry. Just <laughs> the original changes. Yeah. Uh, and change and that so changes had uh, West Coast Man and 
changes to the sequel uh, <laughs> as uh, Fragile Heart. Interesting, because uh, Dominic Miller plays on that song, and he, he's um, he spent the last 20 years playing Fragile. Um, oh, actually, right. Actually, Where he has it. I take it back. Sting usually plays that. Um, believe it or not, Dominic Miller plays the bass when Sting plays that line. So I'll strike that from the record. No comparison. <laughs> I see where you were going with that, though. Yeah. Uh, and then last one I wanted to bring up, guys, unless you have more. Um, was yeah, I'll talk of, about a few more. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say Courage to Change. Yeah, that's when the, when I got the CD, I listened to it in order. And before the last track, Courage to Change, I sort of stopped because I knew this was going to be the last song. And uh, I was, and I was just totally in bliss of what I just heard for the first time. And uh, to me, you know, changes uh, to. I I think Bob, you mentioned it bookends, changes, the the ninety release perfectly. Yeah. And when I hit play, I was like, okay, this is the last. This is the last song, and it was so interesting that he placed this song at the very end. Because to me, it's sort of like, okay, guys, you've listened to everything I've sang about in my career. If you haven't heard anything else I've done, I want you to hear the music and the lyrics in this song. And beautiful song. And then the end. He, uh, <laughs> you got, I'm going to catch slack for this. I don't care. God. It reminded me of the scene in the movie Xanadu at the end. Okay. When... Uh, the muse, Olivia Newton-John's character, leaves uh, the person that she's been counseling, sort of leaving them to their own advice after all the lessons that, you know, she gave them. And the sequence in that musically, with this whole huge synth flare that he does at the end of this track, it reminded me of that, um, whether I'm taking it too literal or, or not. Mm-hmm. But it was like... Yeah, thanks for listening to all my stuff, but I want you to hear this final message from me right. uh, on this on this track. And as simple as, again, this lyric, you know, take something small, just try to make a change. Like you said earlier, Bob, you know, after listening to this, you know, you want to, you know, do whatever you can. Yeah, something. And, and I just thought it was a perfect track to end this amazing masterpiece with absolutely that is really well said mikey any he says the words any change should make us proud and make us feel proud right so right 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 well having never seen xanadu i (laughs) i I do disagree with you um (laughs) you know yeah i don't know what to say about that because i don't have any reference because i've never seen it i know of it right um but that's interesting it's not Mike gonna make was, me watch that movie though. I gotta be honest. Mike was the one guy in the theater who saw that movie, right? <laughs> I was. I was. I was, yeah. Yeah. It just um, I just I just think from top to bottom, like we st- we started from the outset, this is a really strong album. Um and honestly, man, you know, I don't know where Mike goes from here. I don't know if he could do anything better than this. Uh you think about how many years it takes to come out with this and how the concepts all come together over years and the production. I mean, it would be a tall order. If this is the last 
kind of major piece of work we got from Mike Linda, I, I would be, I'd be very grateful for it, you know? Yeah. You know, the original changes was a very optimistic looking forward um, album and changes too. I almost thought should have been called changed only because <laughs> it's still, it's, it's still Mike Linda, right? but it's more of a pragmatic um optimism if you like uh, on on this album yeah uh you feel the man's heart in every aspect of this album absolutely and and it's not just that you know i think you guys said it earlier it's not that we're you know me you and when talk about level 42 of course we're gonna probably like the things that they do but i have to tell you this this again this was an absolute work of genius what mike lindup did with changes too and i am again mike lindup if you're listening to this i personally can't thank you enough for uh, delivering this to the world it was brilliant i, I think you could thank him enough <laughs> all right <laughs> well you know i, I think it is Buy safe. a couple more copies bro <laughs> i think it is safe to say um that you know it might have been this album that really as a catalyst for a podcast that we have like this, because there's so much to talk about with this particular one album. Um, and yeah. it, 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 you know, I don't know. There's when you talk about the depths of something like this, it's, it's not something you can really get in a, a Facebook post. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, I'm glad for you guys uh, to be around and we can do this. And, and I also thank Mike Lindup too, for uh, putting this together. Yes. So and, can anybody and, say that they like this better than the first album? I can't. I mean, I can't, I can't even go there. Like I can't rank oh, them. I see. You know what I mean? I'm, I, that would be like, I know we always have problems with, okay, what's your favorite song? Like I don't typically have a problem with that. Like I can pick my favorite three songs or one song from an album, Yep. but I would have a hard time saying, Ooh, I like this one better than the first album, or I like the first album better than because they're both really, really good. And you know, it's two albums by a guy who I don't skip any of the tracks on on the albums, right? You nope. know, so it's like, huh? And but I've lived with the first album for so, so long. If I feel like okay, if I've had twenty years with that album, I need twenty years for this album to give it a fair shake. As far as if I if I was you know, if you know the whole desert island disc thing or you got to make a choice. Which one do you like better? Like, I can't go there. I can't either. It, to me, they're equal. They, they, again, they book into each other perfectly to me. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, I actually prefer changes too. Um, you know, changes the original album. Uh, I do love, and I'm, I'm with win that with that album. I don't, fast forward through anything either um but i just think I, I just go back to when i first heard that album and when i first heard this album and honestly guys i i, I didn't listen to anything else the entire summer I, to the point when i was i was wondering if all the other songs on my iphone were getting jealous because they, <laughs> because they were not getting used um but so maybe it's because it's newer but right now that's where i'm at I remember in one of our early production meeting calls, 
Bob, you saying that that it was just on constant repeat, and I was I was right there with you that week in particular. Did you, did you say iPod? No, I said iPhone. iPhone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just talking about that with someone the other day. I was like, yeah, yeah. as soon as I got an, an iPhone, my iPod went in the trash. Not in the trash, yeah. but you know what I mean. Like, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, that that was like great to have an iPod. Like, now oh, I've got all this music with me, but I, it got retired. Yeah. Um, well, I. I hope that we, uh, I know Mike has a date coming up soon or is hopefully going to play some of these tracks live. Uh, but I hope down the road uh, there's a opportunity for him to really do a, an expo of his entire works with a, with a band, you know, stuff from the first album and the new album and all the albums in between. Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to see a show dedicated solely to the work of Mike Lindup. That would be amazing. Um, on that note, guys, uh, we should probably uh, move along for this episode. You know, hopefully uh, in a future episode, maybe not too long in the future, we'll be able to talk to Mike Lindup himself about these songs instead of us rambling about it. Uh, and I want to thank you guys for another uh, fun episode. Yeah. Right back at you. Same, right back same, at same. you. Oh, let me just shout out um, Yolanda Charles. I think she does a lot of good work on this album. Playing Great bass. point. Great point. Yes. Uh, she's really, really good. I, you know, hope I hope to get to see her live one day. Yeah, you sh and anybody who hasn't, they should also follow her on Facebook. Uh, she's uh, she'll play. Um, you know. She'll play the bass for you. She'll sing a little bit. It's pretty cool. She's uh, she's great. That and, and I'm glad you mentioned that one because also the other players and artists on the album, uh, the backing uh, vocals, the other players, absolutely no one. Everyone is uh, brilliant on this album. They're uh, they all deserve credit for the work that they put into this as well. Yeah, and I'd be remiss if um, when we talk about. Uh, you just can't live on an island. I believe Nic Nicole Thompson is on that song as well from Level 42's yep. touring band. Yes, yes. So good on him. Listen, I want to thank uh, everybody who tuned in today. Um, uh, it's been great to share this. Please keep tuning in. Subscribe if you can. Uh, for Winston Walker and for Mikey, she cried her pain. I am Bob <laughs> Considine. We're leaving you now, but we will wait until you return. And check out the next episode of Turn It On when Level 42 keyboardist and vocalist Mike Lindup joins us for a special show.